Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. two months. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. There's only one minute left of the morning. Uh, It's wonderful to see everybody here today. Uh, It's a bit of some, we're seeing some crazy weather uh, today, and it's so good to see everyone's face. Uh, Thanks for showing up for yourselves, for the community, for the Lord, on a Sunday like this, on a dreary Sunday. yeah, so I have, um, before we before we get started, I want to just take a minute to pray for Afghanistan and Haiti. Um, I think that we, as people here in Andover, Mass, or just in greater Boston in general, we might miss the ways that uh, our church, our body of Christ around the world is suffering and hurting, but we care. You know, as brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters. Um, if you have any, <clears throat> like, people who are suffering or hurting, please come talk to me. Um, that's okay to talk about that with. Uh, we have, I have some friends of friends who are on the ground there right now. Um, and so we're just, we're, we're all in this together and it's the body of Christ and there are people that are hurting. So we're just going to take a minute, we're going to take a minute to pray for Afghanistan and for Haiti. Uh, Just pray for the body of Christ. The church in Afghanistan is, Afghanistan is one of the, I think it's the second most fastest growing Christian country in the world right now. So the church is rapidly growing right now and I, I believe from what we are aware of and this is just I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic or anything. This is just what it is. I believe that the Taliban have a list of all the Christians in Afghanistan. Um, and so some people have gone um, to hide. And, and, and so uh, we, we have some, just even like last semester, no, actually, yeah, last semester, I was um, in a class with, an, with a missionary from Afghanistan. And so like for me, this is pretty, not too far. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, there are people, like even there are a good amount of Korean missionaries, Korean American missionaries that are out there right now from Korea, from America, serving in Afghanistan. The church is rapidly growing, and so they've all been forced to just kind of go hide uh, in the mountains where it's like radio silent or you know in caves wherever they can. But they're still contending for the gospel. I believe that they're still. Uh, in a recent email I received, I believe people are still evangelizing. So remarkable. I have no idea. I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know if any of us have the resilience that they have. Uh, but could we just be taking a minute to be praying for our brothers and sisters out there? Uh, let's just take this minute to pray. Let's pray. Uh, God, we just thank you, Father, for uh, just 
our brothers and sisters back in December. I just pray, Father, as a community, that we would be a community that we pray for our brothers and sisters that are out there. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Father God, that you would protect them. We pray for protection. We pray for health. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father God, just that you would keep them safe, Father Lord, that the that the gospel, that the evangelion that is being spread, Father God, that it would not be cut off. Father Lord, we pray that your your beloved sons and daughters will come to know you on a deeper, more intimate level, Lord, that you would keep them safe, that you would cover them. Father Lord, you hold them, you hem them, and you hold them in your arms. Father God, they soar with you on wings like eagles. And so, Jesus, we just pray that this would not be lofty words, that this would not just be scripture, but Lord, that it would be it would be their reality, God, as they hold on to you, as they hold fast to you. Would you give them strength and courage? Lord, we pray for Haiti. Lord, we pray that you will continue to fill those uh, brothers and sisters out there, Father God, with courage, Father God, with resilience, God, as they go through day to day, as their lives, their livelihoods, their families have been torn apart by um, just natural disaster, Lord, we pray that they would, that their hope would not be in better circumstances, but that their hope would be in you, Jesus. Would you just please help us as a community, help us as a country, filled with your people, Father Lord, to show compassion and love on people who are past oceans from us, God, just because it's not happening on our doorstep. Help us to not turn a blind eye. Help us to not just turn off our computers and our tablets. God, give us empathy and compassion to care for your brothers and sisters, no matter where they are, Lord. Help us to care for justice. Help us to care for the widows, for the orphans, God. Help us to care for the ones who need you, for the ones who need more of you, Jesus. May we be a community that can share what we have, Father, for the for the, for the benefit of your people. Father God, knowing that we are not laying up treasures that moths can destroy and thieves can steal, but treasures in heaven that cannot be stolen, treasures in heaven that cannot, will, will not go away. So Jesus, would you just grant us compassion? Amen. Okay, so, um, God, <clears throat> It has been a trying morning. We are actually going to pause our sermon series on Daniel indefinitely because we are going to be going through a sermon series for the rest of the year on the Sermon of the Mount. Um, and uh, we will be starting this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you guys know the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon that Jesus, the longest teaching that was ever recorded. Uh, during the time that Jesus is alive. It's a very famous passage, uh, but we're we're actually going to be starting in the middle of it, and then we'll be going through it straight through. So can you guys open up your Bibles with me to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. We are going to be going through Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Kung rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word. This is the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer as we stand? Thank you that you love your people. Thank you that you are with us, stirring us up. Thank you, Jesus. You move in mighty ways, ways that I cannot fathom, ways that I cannot understand. Yet, Jesus, you are moving. You are continually stirring up hearts to see Lord Jesus, we just pray for every single person in this congregation right now. Lord, we pray that you would take us to the next level with you, Jesus. Help us to be aware of your presence. If there's anything that is distracting us, Jesus, we pray, Father Lord, that the distraction would leave in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for clarity in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the reality of who you are right now. So, God, I pray that hearts would be open, that eyes and ears would be attentive to your word, and that hearts would be open, Jesus. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, that we may see you in your scripture. Jesus, hide me behind your cross. That only you are magnified and that only you are glorified. For it is your word and it is your wisdom. We love you so, so much. This worship service is yours. We are yours. Our time is yours. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. The sermon title is actually <laughs> um, it was my <laughs> I love this verse for me personally this verse always brings me back and always centers me on God um, so this is actually my, my insta bio for a very long time but uh, the sermon title is where your treasure is there your heart will be also we're just going to jump right in. Um, this passage, I don't know if you guys have been taught the Sermon on the Mount before. Um, blessed are the meek. Blessed are, you know, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted, right? And then it goes through. It's like a really, really long, like, three-chapter sermon that Jesus gave. And uh, this is kind of lodged in the middle of it, like right after the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, and I just kind of want to delve into scripture. And so if you guys can just keep your eye 
Oh, you know, I forgot. Can you guys look to the person on your right and left and say, I've missed you? Good morning. Good morning. Ask each other, how are you? How are you? How are you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Look around. Look around. Yes. This is your congregation that you serve with, that you worship God with. Okay. Now we will delve into scripture. Apologies. I'm so sorry. That should have been way earlier. Um, can you guys keep your eye fixed on Matthew 6? Uh, 19 we're just kind of going to be going through step by step. It's very short And so we're going to kind of unpack the scripture before us So the first verse says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust the moth and rust Why does that get me so much moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal? So that first context do not lay up for yourselves. That is actually like it's chill, you know like, I might tell, I don't know, I might tell, Yechan, don't do it, right? <laughs> we didn't say one in particular, don't do it, right? But when I say, when I say, when I say that to, you know, Yechan, that's not quite the same thing as when it says, do not lay up for yourselves here. It sounds casual in the English, but actually in the Greek, it's an absolute prohibition. So the language of this here is actually really strong. There are like there are like varying levels to commands in in, in scripture, um, <clears throat> but this is made dead, which is actually like a double. It's like it's kind of like a double negative. But you know how like double negatives mean like oh you can't like to don't don't not do something. It's like actually do it right, but. It, here, and it actually, it signifies an absolute prohibition. So it says, complete, to, to obey this command, it requires a complete break of act, from the activity, okay? Like a complete, clean break, cold turkey, right? Probably not the right terminology to use here, but like complete break, right? From what? From what? From the activity of storing up and depositing treasures. <clears throat> Now, we can take this morally, we can take this another way, but actually the complete break from the activity of storing up, it is talking about like physical wealth. Uh, wealth actually in that time period was in expensive cloth and precious metal. Some things never change for those of y'all who love the hype. You know? Man, resell, I, I find it so crazy that people can make a living off of buying and reselling clothing. That is a lie. You know, hype culture, y'all, we don't talk about it. Most of, us don't, most of us don't know about it, but it is a lucrative business, okay? Um, but back then, it was kind of accepted all around. So wealth was determined by precious metal and expensive cloth. It was to the point where even the poor would actually pass down garments for inheritance. Um, so... <clears throat> what the rich would do is that they would lock up the precious um, expensive cloths because, hey, moths can eat it up. And that's like moths eating up your money. It's like random dead money being eaten up. And so they would lock that up. And then they would bury precious metals in the ground to keep it from being stolen. 
So this is a direct reference to actual wealth. <clears throat> Physical wealth, material wealth. And then Jesus juxtaposes that. This is actually the word of Jesus. This is not Apostle Paul. This is not Daniel. This is Jesus. Jesus' words recorded. Jesus, our Lord, juxtaposes treasures of the world to treasures in heaven. A lot of you guys might not understand what that means. Like, why does Jesus bring up treasures in heaven? What the heck is that talking about? It's actually idiomatic. Um, what he's actually talking about, when he says, when he juxtaposes storing up treasures in heaven, he's actually saying, give your wealth to people who are in need. It's actually a very Judaic concept that only you who were there at the time, which is none of us, would have caught on your own. And so that's kind of why it's being juxtaposed. It's saying, Jesus is saying, instead of just storing up and just locking away your own wealth for your own personal gain, store up a treasure in heaven. And it's in the context of giving what you have to people who are in need. But Jesus is not fixated here. And like, because he would say, like Jesus doesn't, he doesn't need to beat around the bush because he's Jesus. So if he really felt like, you know, he wanted to get across the fact that you need to give away what you had, he would tell you. But he's actually, like he's actually juxtaposing that because, oh, I realize that's a big word. Putting it side by side, like putting side by side the, the concept of storing up treasures in heaven and storing up treasures in the earth because he's giving the message to stop looking inward and to look outward. It's like really short, but it's actually really strong language. It's that one should not center on temporary rewards. I'm a teacher. I used to be a teacher. <clears throat> one of the ways that teachers manage to bring law and order to a classroom full of children who do not want to listen to them is incentive. Whether you are in first grade or you are in 10th grade, you will not listen to your teacher unless there is incentive, okay? For first graders, that might be stickers on a chart, and if you get a row full of stickers of attendance at the end of the month, or a row full of stickers for homework at the end of the month, you get a prize. If you have five stickers, you get a temporary tattoo. If you have uh, 15 stickers, you get, I don't know, I don't remember what I used to do. I believe it was candy and some other things, uh, nicer things than just candy. But it's like, you kind of have to, as a teacher, you kind of have to learn to be both an educator and also a Chuck E. Cheese, um, where you're kind of like, have that, that uh, inventory of just prizes because there's no other good freaking way to get kids to do something unless there's something in it for them, okay? Um, like I would, I, and then when I was teaching like middle schoolers in high school, the incentive, it was like, I just, I remember I was pulling things out of my butt, like just like lunchtime ordering, McDonald's in and eating as a class internally, you know, getting in trouble by my superiors because I don't know if I was allowed to do that. 
um, and like trying to keep it under the, I was like kind of like that kind of teacher, you know what I mean? Um, and incentive is something that is so, what I've learned in my time in education is that incentive is something that is so important. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is clearly getting at that part of our hearts because you know what? If a six-year-old can jump up and down because they've had a row of stickers because they're gonna get something in the end, that desire to get something in the end, that desire of incentive, it does not leave you, and actually you grow up with it, right? When you start a serving a community in whatever capacity, not even just in a church context, like what's in it for me? As much as we would like to be selfless, the reality is that at us as humans, we have a hard time doing that. We have a hard time being selfless, okay? And you know, even as you go into your work, some of us, we go into work as with the incentive of passion and purpose. Oh, I, I'm in this because I want to be in it, because it gives me life's meaning. Some of us, we choose certain possessions for the bag because your job, your, your value might be that jobs are not your lifetime calling anyways, so your, per, your profession is just to, as a means to make money. So whether or not you're a six-year-old, getting a month's worth of stickers and then getting that prize at the end, and your teacher has to be a Chuck E. Cheese in order to pull that stuff out for you, or you're 60, having raised your, your children your children are all grown up. You spent, honestly, thousands of dollars into their lives, and now you're like, and then they go off, and they only focus on their own family, and you're stuck here, sad, and you're like, hey, what was in it for me? And then you go into, you know, an existential crisis. Whether or not you're six or 60, right? This concept of incentive doesn't go away. And Jesus is attacking that understanding of incentive. It's not actually just about, oh, keeping your money versus giving it away. Jesus doesn't just care about the outward action. That's the funny thing about this funny guy, okay? He cares about the intention of the heart. So he's talking about treasures, your, your wealth and your wealth in heaven in the context of incentive. Do not just store up treasures of wealth for yourself, but store up treasures in heaven. Jesus also attacks something very interesting here. He says, treasures in heaven that what? He doesn't say that will fade away, that will pass away. He says, treasures in heaven that thieves can steal and moths can destroy. It is a direct reference to physical wealth. But he is not just saying that it is here today, God tomorrow. He's actually saying wealth that you are scared you will lose. That speaks right to my heart. I am an Enneagram 6. For those of you guys who do not follow the Enneagram, that's fine if you don't know what I'm saying. Uh, <clears throat> but I am a girl who lives and dies on loyalty and who has a ton of anxiety. I don't know why, I don't know how. I have a lot of anxiety. And so, when I have, 
I don't know if you guys have ever, what's like the greatest sum of money you've ever held in your hands? For some of us, it's like $200. For some of us, it's $2,000. For some of us, it's $200,000. For whatever, whatever you might be. I remember, I, I, I've never like, as a, as a young adult, we, when you make money, you make money in increments, right? You get paid bi-weekly or monthly. And so you don't really hold a lot of money in your hands, but uh, actually recently when I got um, my pastoral study grant uh, for research, like my research, the sum of my research money was, I believe it was 14320 right? And I have never been given $14,320 from another person's pocket to mine. Like in such, like here, that's yours. Go do it. It might seem like a smaller sum for those of us who had houses and whatnot, but for me, like, especially because all I did to get that money was put in an application for a research grant. I remember the first time I got that money, I, my hands were shaking because I was like, what am I going to do? And I couldn't, I like looked at, I, <laughs> I kept it on, when I got it in the mail, um, I opened it up and I was like, oh my God. So I kind of just like put it on my table and I kind of like took two steps away from it. And I just kind of looked at it. Just kind of like looked at it from afar. Like, that's a lot of money to be holding in my hands from another person. Like, that's a lot of money. Um, and then I just kind of looked at it for six, for six days. And then one day, because I am clumsy, for however reason, for whatever reason, I guess I stored it somewhere else because I was trying to be smart. You know, the six in me, like, getting anxious that I'm going to lose this check because if I lose it, it's gone. Um, it's like, what the heck? Why would you send that money in paper? I'm like, can you send it to my bank account? They're like, no, we have to send it from Louisville, Kentucky in a freaking envelope. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, and they send it over. Six days later, I, I wake up one morning and it's not on my desk anymore. <laughs> Yo, when I tell you, some of us, there are some people who were a part of that fiasco. Uh, some of my roommates and, and uh, my honorary, our honorary roommate who was, who was there as I was freaking out, okay? My little sister and I were basically flipping my room upside down. I was like, yo, I done did it. Like, you really, like, you really applied to this grant that only, like, people two generations of you get and you somehow got it? only to lose the check. I thought I was going to lose my mind, right? And when I showed up an hour and a half later, the first thing I did is I drove to Chase Bay. And I just stuck it in there, you know? Because I was like, when you've tasted and seen the fear, you know, you don't play no games after that. You're like, you know, I ain't gonna be just looking at it. Like, I get it. This is money. I'm just gonna stick it in a bank, okay? Um, it's not my responsibility anymore. I'm storing it with them. That's why we have bank accounts. That's why we have savings accounts, right? For those of us who might, some of us might not struggle with this anxiety. Some of us might not be young enough, but if we've ever had something that is precious that we don't want to lose, and then for the first time, maybe for some of us, that's our phones. Maybe for some of us, that's the one really, really expensive piece of jewelry that your mom let you have 
from her vanity that you lost one day. Maybe that's, you know, something of your older siblings, whatever it may be, right? We all have had experiences where we had something really, really important, right? That we would never want to lose that's important to us, and then one day it's lost. You know that pit, that anxious feeling at the pit of your stomach that just keeps growing? And like it's urgent and you need to find it and you get frantic, but it's nowhere to be found and it just grows and it snowballs and then you're just this giant pit of panic <laughs> and anger and frustration. That feeling. That feeling is what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, do not store up for yourself treasures on this earth. That moths can moths can eat, that can be destroyed, that thieves can steal. Instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven that nobody can take away from you. God is not just talking about, hey, you rich people, give money to the poor. By the way, that applies to all of us. All of us in here. Whether we are working class, middle class, higher middle class, whatever we may be, we are considered in a global context rich. That's just what it is to be a like a developed country, okay? He is not just telling you, give what you have to those who are in need. That's not what God is getting at. God is getting at the incentive of wanting to store up things that can be destroyed. He's saying, stop, do not, that absolute prohibition, he's saying, stop spending all your time and your heart building up for yourself treasures because you're afraid of losing it. on this earth. Stop being so fixated on the bad, on feeding your family, on getting that grade that you need to get into that school that you need to get into that college that you need to get into that job that you need to get to that house that you need to, you know what I mean? It never ends. God is directly attacking not your actual number in your bank account, he's attacking the heart behind that number. Not just your report card, but the heart behind that report card. And then it leads us to why. Why God is saying this. He says, where your treasure is, where your, there your heart will be also. That's the reason. That's the reason. The heart is the inner person. Cardia in Greek. Cardia is the inner person, the seat of understanding, knowledge, and will. He's saying what you treasure is the guiding principle for your heart. 
So some of us earn money for the people we love. Some of us grow grades and grow our report card or grow our resume for those of us who are in college, for those of us who are in high school, beef up our application for colleges, for those of us who are in middle school, get the best grade possible, start involving yourself in all the activities possible. Oftentimes, behind all of this is actually the people we love just as much as it is our own game. God is attacking the treasure of your heart. God is saying, stop storing up plan B, plan C, plan D. Stop fixating on how much money you have and how much security you have. And he's saying, focus on the treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. There could be two people with the same amount of joy, the same amount of family, the same amount of money, the same amount of stability, the same amount of prestige. And one person could be obsessed with maintaining that. And one person might not be. God is attacking. He is attacking the treasure of your heart. Right now is a good point to ask yourself for a minute as I continue to preach, what is the treasure of your heart? What do you spend the most amount of time in your day treasuring? Is it your significant other, your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Is it your your grades, your future, your resume, your family. What are you treasuring up in your heart? Your friends, your family? For some of us, it's even more complex than that. For some of us, the greatest treasure is to be known and loved. For some of us, the greatest treasure isn't actually it's something that can be named. It might be stability and security. Everything that you do in life might be driven with this undercurrent of, I need to be secure. With where I am with people, with where I am with my family, with where I am in my career. Some of us, the treasure of our heart is meaning. I need everything in my life to have meaning. For some of us, it's the validation an affirmation of others. I serve at church to be validated and affirmed. I get this, 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 this kind of internships. I get this, this, this kind of jobs. I'm not afraid to talk about my work so that I can be validated. Then that's the treasure of your heart. For where your treasure is, through your heart will be also. Then God continues. He continues. He says, he uses this interesting imagery of this, your eye being a lamp to your body. I'm going to read this. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That's two verses, y'all. This is two verses. It's a very puzzling metaphor. A lot of theologians actually say that this is some of the hardest metaphors in scripture. Because what does it mean that the eye is the lamp of the body? For me, I am a science geek, so I appreciate this metaphor. This tells me that Jesus cares about science. Because actually, the eye captures light. Did you guys know that? So your pupils dilate and constrict by the amount of light that it takes in. And so actually it's like light in different ways and different colors like that like retract off of it, like reveal reality, and like you are perceiving these kinds of things, and then that kind of gets translated and it goes into your brain. And that is how you perceive your surroundings. I am really butchering it. <laughs> There's a lot more involved there. It's so, like, that's why, you know, there's the, I don't want to get into this right now, but there is, like, a part of your eye that, like, retracts and refracts. Like, anyway, so the eye is the one part of your body, other than the skin when you tan, technically. No, that's, no, 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 that's heat waves. That's different. That's radiation. That's different. Um, but the, your eye is the one part of your body that takes in light. Ah, Jesus is not just a poet, he's smart. Um, but he says, the eye is the lamp, sorry, I realize that I, I'm the only one getting joy from this image. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is sound, your body is filled with light. So it's interesting. Technically, your body does receive light from the eye, right? When the eye picks up on light, Jesus, you would think, you would think that Jesus is saying when your eye is open versus when your eye is closed. When your eye is here versus when your eye is there. What your eye is looking at. He's actually not even attacking, like, you might have thought, like, Jada was going to talk about what we look at on our computer when we're alone or, like, what we're, like, exposing ourselves to in TikTok and Instagram. And, yeah, like, maybe, like, yes, yes, but this Jesus actually doesn't just care about, I mean, he cares about everything, but Jesus is not just talking about something as surface level. He uses this metaphor to talk about whether or not the eye is healthy. And the word here, translated another way, is sound. And I want you guys to really understand this because this word is actually more ethical than physio physiological. Technically, this metaphor is a physiological metaphor, right? Technically, it's science. But Jesus uses an ethical term, a term about ethical health, to talk about the eye. And he goes to say, if the eye is healthy, then the body will be filled with light. But if the eye is unhealthy, then the body will be filled with darkness. And all of that is based on the word sound. The key to understanding this is the word sound. Ethical soundness. In another way, when you put it another way, it's actually talking about to be sound is to be wholly dedicated to your purpose. 
To put it another way, it's when you're doing what you're, what you're supposed to be doing and only doing that, ethically, morally. We're not talking about a set, a laundry list of things to do and not to do. We're not talking about a checkbook, right? But ethically and morally, when the eye is sound, the body is filled with light. When the eye is not sound, the body is filled with darkness. And health here, the health of the eye, as the only part of your body that takes in light, the only part of your body that can actually direct you where you're supposed to go, the only part of your body that takes in photons and helps you to see where you need to go, the only part of your body that can give you clarity about your surroundings in a comprehensive way by taking in light. If the eye, not if the eye is just looking at the right things, if the eye is healthy. And health is defined as when you're doing what you're supposed to do. Then Jesus puts this imagery of health side by side with what? Un unhealthiness, a lack of health, and an absence of life. An unsound eye, which is not what you were purposed for. Right after where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He talks about another part of your body in the context of purpose. What our lives are purposed to do. An evil and covetous eye. This is, a, I'm quoting a theologian here. I don't know how much I, I, I think it's like, the language is a little strong, but he says, an evil and covetous eye will hoard earthly possessions only to see them decay. So it's why you are looking at something. We look at things for various reasons. When we wake up, we look at the clock to see what time of day it is. When we read a book, we look at the words to process a story. When we look at our phones, we look to pass the time to have fun. When we look at our teachers, at our superiors, we look to complete tasks that we have the responsibility of doing. When we look at our family, we look at them because we love them. Why do you look at money? Why do you store up treasures in your heart? Two people might look at this same passage and have completely different eyes. One person might be thinking, what can this do for me? Another person might be thinking, what does scripture have to say? Another person might be thinking, who is Jesus?
God is attacking here. He's getting at the motivations of your heart. Why do you do what you do? Why do you play the sports that you play? Why do you build your degrees? Why do you continue to invest in something? Why do you achieve? Why? God is not saying that these are good and bad things. God is getting at the motivation of your heart. And a lot of the times, if we can be honest with ourselves, it's incentive. The incentive of being known and loved. The incentive of comfort. The incentive of security. The incentive of love. For people, and in this imagery of the eye. See, because the eye is meant to take in life. The eye is not, you're not supposed to touch the world with your eye. Every time I touch my eye, I've been, I've been wearing contacts for, I'm 26, it's been 13 years. Halfway through my life, I started wearing contacts in eighth grade for musical theater. I'm not in musical theater anymore, but obviously I continue to wear contacts. And, um, because of that, I'm like really comfortable with like touching my eye. But every time I touch my eye, like Amy freaks out. She's like, ooh. Like, because I would just pluck it out. At the end of a long day, I just kind of like, just kind of like pluck it and chuck it. And it, like it freaks people out, you know? Especially if you've never touched your eye in your whole life, it freaks you out. The reason why it freaks people out is because you're not supposed to do, well, I mean, you're not supposed to, like, your eye is not meant to be like, touch all the time. That's not the purpose of the eye. It's not built to do that. So it gets easily infected. Right? That's not the purpose of your eye. Your eye is not meant to roll around and figure out your surroundings by touch. Jesus Christ. I don't even want to think about the imagery of that. God here is connecting purpose to the treasure of your heart. He's connecting the purpose to the treasure of your heart. He's saying, when you are taking in things for the wrong reasons, you might be unhealthy because you are not living into what you were purposed for. Come on. You have to hear that. That's what I came here to tell today. My God, pause everything. Because when you, even if you're doing the same thing as the person next to you in church, even if you're serving, if you're doing it, and your incentive is to be known and loved yourself, we must consider our purpose. And whether or not it is sound, Because at this fixed point in time, you might be next to, you might be looking healthy. But as you continue to walk, because you're looking at the wrong thing, where you are going is going to curve. And it's going to go out of joint. And it's going to come, become clear. Nothing is hidden. Everything comes into the light. 
Why do you do what you do? For your where oh God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it ends on one verse. Very strong verse. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or money. Two masters. It's the language of slavery, enslavement. Uh, slavery was held in a different context back then. And actually, when, when Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, it's actually supposed to be a bit jarring, because in this context, you can have two masters. You actually can have two different masters. And so people in the audience would be like, oh, no. <clears throat> actually, Jesus, you can. What are you talking about? But Jesus is saying here, by nature, when you serve yourself, because let's be clear here, when you serve money, a lot of people here might be like, I don't serve money. That's true. You're not serving money. You might be serving yourself. Right. That is what it is. Even for me. You know how easy it is for me as a pastor to serve myself? Literally a thought. One thought. One fleeting thought is all it takes to go from serving people to serving myself. It is so subtle, it is a difference in perspective. It's a difference in attitude. It's so subtle. But God closes out, he first uses this anxiety thing to get you feeling that sinking pain in your stomach as though you're gonna lose something. He attacks this deep meaning where your treasures and your heart will be also. He talks about the health of an eye just to bring us back into master imagery, to say God and yourself require opposite things. You will love one and hate another, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other because they are opposite. Some of us might think, no, I can live for me and then go to church. I'm not saying that you don't deserve a break. Like, I'm not, so this is not to be taken like, I'm not telling yourselves to starve yourselves of what you need. That's not what Jango is talking about here. But it's the motivation of why you live your life. Because of the nature of who God is. When you live for yourself, you have to push God out in order to do that. When you only live for you, when the motivation of everything that you do is just for you, you cannot serve God and wealth. What does it mean to serve? Do you know, I think I'm serving God. And you might actually be. The only person that knows that is you. And the way that you can tell is time. What do you devote your time and your energy into the most? That is the first thing to ask yourself in order to get to what the treasure of your heart actually is. What do you spend the most amount of time thinking about? What occupies your thoughts in the beginning and the end of your day?
God is asking here. What is your idol? God is asking you, what do you serve? How do we apply this? Giving to others your time and your wealth. Oh, wait, I don't want to actually get into application just yet. Because I want us to sit in this for just a minute. What is your idol? Why do you do what you do? Whether you are in junior high or high school or whether or not you are working, this question rings true. What is your idol? What do you spend most of your time doing? And some of you guys, when you hear me say this, you might think, why should I invest it to God? That's a valid question. Nobody can convince you. But it does tell you what, who your master is. For some of us, it's like, I think, I, I think I'm doing everything for the Lord. And God honors that. God honors your effort. He honors your heart. But be self-aware and really look into your heart. Ask yourself, why? Why do I do what I do? You might think, oh, so that if we don't do this, God is judging us? Then does God judge us for this? For putting other things above him? I believe that Jesus actually grieves. Instead of maybe some of us and the defensiveness that we might get to for putting our grades, our family, our wealth, our treasure above God. I believe that Jesus is a stern God that weeps when his people are not fixated on him. And there's also a, an ounce of reality that when you are not living with the right motivation and intention, you are actually not living into your purpose. It's like a water without anywhere to go, a body of water without anywhere to go. It rocks. Still water, it's contaminated. When you're not flowing out into your purpose, You are like a very expensive ring buried in the ground. What is a buried ring good for? Come on, what is a buried ring good for? Nothing. It's good for nothing. Oh, she said later. <laughs> Maybe. If we live that long. piece of metal in the ground. Does not give you purpose. 
extra stash of money does not give you purpose. The people you love validating you does not give you purpose and worth. Your most prized relationships, they cannot be your purpose. There is only one person that will love you and never leave you. One person that will never, ever forsake you. That you can be fully honest with, that is way holier than any of us, and will never judge you. One person that will always love you. One person that is proud of you in your weakest, most vulnerable moments. Constantly proud of you. And you God. It is this person that said this thing. We are reading a person's words, and it's that person that is worth it. So how do we get ourselves on the right track? How do we store up treasures that we need? The first thing is giving to others. Even if you start giving for the wrong reasons, God will align your heart as long as you are open to him. Some of us, we think, oh, I cannot serve other people because my heart is in the wrong place. That's not true. You got to start somewhere. When you tell me that, that's off, more often than not, that might be an excuse to do what you want. Giving to others your time, your resources, is a healthy way of being open-handed with the master of yourself. And checking your heart in the midst of that, to not be doing that just for validation and affirmation, but to be doing that out of curiosity even for God. Some of us, we might not be far along in our walks with the Lord. How do you invest into, how do you make somebody the treasure of your heart when you, when you barely know him? That's okay, continue to be hungry, continue to be curious, Continue to press in because he is worth it. He is more worth it than anything you can hold on to. So you can continue to press into him. Make sure that that's the goal. Knowing God. Who are you serving? Right now, who do you serve? How are you serving yourselves right now? Be open-handed about yourself. Whatever it is that you're clutching and you're holding on to, be open-handed about it. That is my personal testimony. Because I stored up treasures. Freaking triple majored and took the LSAT and had a job by the time, by, by, by grad. Like, if there's any person that overachieved for the sake of security and stability, it's me. I'm not saying to give all that up and go into ministry, okay? But when you become open-handed with it, when you stop holding what you're holding on to so tightly with a death grip, and you learn to loosen your fingers, You become 
in a better, you're positing yourself, you're positioning yourself for redirection. The way to reprioritize is to first let go of a bad priority. Not to eliminate it completely, but to let go of it. And possibly to push yourself outside your comfort zone, to be uncomfortable. Maybe for some of us that means reading the Bible a couple verses. Maybe for some of us that means having a conversation with that person you find really annoying. Maybe for some of us that means getting in the habit of donating. Whatever it is that you're holding on to. Maybe for some of us that means having shorter work days and spending more time with your family. Maybe for some of us that means learning to take a Sabbath, a full day of rest. Whatever it may be. Be open-handed. Bless but not least, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't just be absorbing. Everything is giving you a message. Any screen you look at, any conversation that you have, any person you talk to, something is giving you a message. Any single thing that you look at, even something so ridiculous as a horror movie. It's giving you a message. It's teaching you fear in some way or some context or some form. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Guard your purpose. Don't just be giving yourself excuses, oh God, just this once. God, this one's and no more. Guard your heart. Don't give yourself that much credit. You're not as disciplined as you think you are. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Only you know your weaknesses and idolatry. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. What you choose to look at, what you choose to look to, will be what you look toward to guide your intent, to guide your life, to guide your direction. Guard your heart. Only you can do it. That is how God has built you because God respects you. God respects what you have to say. He respects what you have to think. He doesn't force you. Guard your heart. It is up to you. You cannot serve two masters. If your eye is unhealthy, the light will fade. Do not lay up for yourself treasures. The moths eat and destroy and thieves can kill. Instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guard your heart. Check yourselves. Can we take this moment to pray? I realize that this is a really hard uh, passage to take in because for some of us, 
who do not desire God? Like, what if I don't desire God? That's a very valid question. If you feel that little inkling in your heart that this is a priority, that there's something here, just that little inkling in your heart, if you have even the slightest, and only you can be honest with yourself, I cannot open up your brain and know what you are praying. Only you have the slightest inkling of what you know the priority of your life should be, the purpose of your life should be. Nobody can tell you that. Nobody can tell you how to listen to that. Only you can listen to that. And a lot for a lot of us, we might not be living and thinking about this, this part of our hearts. the little inkling in the back of your heart that knows that you might have fallen off that knows that you have not guarded your heart for some of us who are older we remember a time when our hearts were fixated on what was nice what was right when our hearts were fixated on the goal of God, but somewhere, somewhere down the line, maybe it was a season, maybe it was a conflict, maybe it's career, maybe it was the start of a semester, even the start of a relationship, a friendship, growing bonds. Somewhere down the line, we lost that priority. And some of us, this might be the one sermon we are the least receptive to. Even though it's like 45 minutes of just application. Because we're not willing to listen to that still small voice in your heart. God, I still want to do what I want to do. But you know that that still small voice exists. Can we just take this moment to listen to it? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For some of us, we might never, we might never have been listening. We might, we might be really new to faith. We might be being introduced to God right now. Will we be open to living past ourselves for a God? Not just a God that sits up on his high horse and doesn't care, but a God who did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, even to be born a baby, even to be even to be hung, hanged on a cross, so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. Will we be open to God? Would we be open to God? Some of us, our hearts are hardened. Would we be opened? Would we dare to allow ourselves to be softened again? Could we just take just one moment to press in? Just take this one moment to press in.
take this one moment to press in. God, my priorities. Lord, I've been storing up treasures in heaven. Storing up treasures in this earth, but God, I want to get back to storing up treasures in heaven. God, I don't know if my eye is sound. Help me. Help me, God. Help me, God, to get right back with you, Lord. Can we take this moment to pray that prayer and to press and pass ourselves? God, I have been on the wrong track. But God, I want to get right with you. Will we allow ourselves to be open to God? Reshifting our priorities. Face God in the midst of it. He loves you. He loves you. From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.